yo, how you doing? It's been oh, a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's been far too long. Um, we'll spare the uh, listeners the details of your world travels. They don't have internet in foreign countries, apparently. Uh, apparently not, yeah. Um, but uh, I am back from the deepest, darkest depths of uh, Canada. That's where the Canadians come from. Um, that's right. I was uh, checking out the birthplace of Owen Hargreaves. <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, did you make a pilgrimage? To... I, I did. But talking of uh, bad, it's not been the best couple of weeks in the history of Manchester United Football Club. Well, it certainly wasn't good on Sunday, was it? And uh, following up on the performance against CSKA, or CSKA, as uh, they like to call it on uh, UEFA.com, and they said they speak, um, and, uh, you know, pretty uh, average performance against Blackburn the week before that. So, um, average apart from a stunning goal from uh, Mr Berbatov. Your, your favourite, Mr Berbatov, yeah. Um, a, another stunning goal and, and a great finish by Wayne Rooney as well, I thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, that those two really are the only... Well, not quite the only, but they're, they're certainly uh, shining lights in, in a fairly dim set of lights. Yeah, it's... Um, it continues to frustrate me how bad a press uh, Dimitar Berbatov gets because I thought I think he's put in some great performances this season. Uh, obviously, the the uh, great strike against Sunderland a few weeks back, and then the uh, uh, brilliant volley against Blackburn. I think he's been every bit as good as any of our other forwards this season, but uh, still get, continues to get criticised in the, the press. And uh, he didn't even play against Chelsea on That's Sunday. Great. Very lazy journalism, isn't it? Having a pop at Dimitar Berbatov. It's it's similar to, you know, the kind of attacks that Cantona used to get, although they were obviously about his temperament rather than his talent. Uh, well, true. Um, so, well, three points against Blackburn. I guess United did everything they needed to do in that game. Um, certainly wasn't the sort of five-star, five-goal performance that um, Chelsea and Arsenal put in against Blackburn, but they did just about enough. Yeah, and you'd think that it's a slightly different circumstance. I mean, having been taken apart twice, they probably tightened up a bit. And, you know, some of the reporting afterwards was sort of saying they just seemed fairly content to be beaten only 2-0. That, they were showed the least ambition of uh, any side I've seen at Old Trafford for quite a while. Um, it's, un- it's unusual as well. I mean, not for a Sam Aldar fan, certainly. They've given us a lot of trouble over the years, haven't they? Uh, Bolton certainly have, yeah. I, I mean... Um, I, I guess Blackburn, after those two heavy defeats recently, just w- were happy not to lose. And uh, I, I did read some of the, the match reports on um, Blackburn fanzines, and they were pretty disappointed about how you know meek the side was. Uh, I think they had one shot on goal, and that came in the 87th minute, so that kind of sums up the game from Blackburn's point of view. It's good to hear that you spend your free time reading Blackburn fanzines, Ed, and somehow unsurprising. Yeah, it's a bit sad, really. I probably should be on Playboy.com or something like that. But uh, there you go. That's that's uh, my spare time, ladies and gents. Um, and then then on to Barnsley in midweek. Um, and uh, not quite as exciting as a centrefold, but um, the the kids did the job again. I thought a decent performance from United's young players. They did. It'd be slight to talk about the pretty disgraceful behaviour of our fans, um, who during the game were absolutely fantastic. They were, you know. It, the kind of away uh, support performance that makes you cringe sometimes about the support at Old Trafford um, similar to the game against Chelsea where they were fantastic again um, but the the 
it's pretty despicable to smash up a chip shop because they won't serve you booze. Yes, it is, and and it's uh, right that the club have paid Barnsley for any damage. It's it's odd because um, United fans don't have this kind of reputation at all. Uh, they're consistently ranked in UEFA's ranking of good fans uh, very highly. Um, almost no trouble when United go abroad, uh, you know, save for a couple of occasions, say in Rome and. I think uh, largely United fans have been exonerated from any um, any blame for that one. Um, and then there was this one, and uh, I, I I know that uh, one of the fanzines uh, said that it was probably fans who had gained tickets that uh, don't normally go to Old Trafford, so a different set of fans, and uh, maybe that's passing the buck a bit. Uh, it certainly wasn't acceptable. Although, of course, um, that wasn't the only incident during the game. Uh, three fans in total ran onto the pitch, uh, two by Ben Foster and another in a separate incident, and uh, uh, surprising lack of um, criticism of Barnsley stewarding for that one. I, you know, it's pretty um, pretty outrageous when fans can get onto the pitch and only takes one of them with a the knife, and we're going to have a major incident. Yeah, I mean, security at football grounds is run essentially on goodwill, isn't it? I mean, there's you know, there's whenever you get seventy thousand people, it's not Barnsley, but seventy thousand people in one place at one time, and sort of a hundred people to police them. You know, assuming that the seventy thousand people behave in a reasonably rational manner you are yeah and and on a brighter note though i thought on the pitch um gabriel obertan uh united's uh summer signing from bordeaux the, the french kid they've been looking at for more than four years and um you know i know a few eyebrows were raised when he was signed in the summer um but i thought he had an excellent debut at barnsley and it's kind of continued that form in a, a couple of uh, substitute performances ever since yeah i'm just disappointed that you didn't title your piece um, about him after that game over T, over Tan, life goes on after Ronaldo, life goes on uh, yes, well that was your headline and <laughs> I know I um, I stole some of your uh, your copy there for that piece So you just didn't take the good bit I, I'm. it's the only time I've ever written a song that I think that United fans should sing but I, I suspect they might not oh, you want to get that one to Pete Boyle I'm, I'm sure he'd, uh, he'd take up the um, the offer um, so after Barnsley came very unimpressive performance against CSKA Moscow. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was a disaster defensively, wasn't it? Uh, Absolutely. All three of the goals uh, were down to error, one way or another, uh, positioning or just you know, plain error. Um, United just got away with it with uh, you know typical United last fifteen minutes throwing absolutely everything at it and got a couple of late goals, but. Uh, Aside from that, pretty shambolic. It was indeed, and I mean, you did feel you did feel the equaliser coming, and on the glasses half full side, we have qualified, um, and fairly safely and comfortably got through to through what could potentially have been quite a tricky group. But that that defensive performance was kind of indicative of some of the perhaps slightly more deep-seated problems deep-seated problems that exist in this United side that might have hoped and this United team minus Cristiano Ronaldo or last year's United team minus Cristiano Ronaldo plus Valencia and a revitalised Berbatov it's not not quite living up to it, is it? No, I, I mean, you, you can't lose Ronaldo, uh, and this has been said before many times, of course, without, without it having an effect. Um, although, of course, he's spent most of the season injured at Real Madrid. Um, yes. So, yeah, yeah, it looks like quite a bad ankle injury that's not um, not healing after scoring nine goals in his first seven games. Uh, he hasn't played for quite a while, and he could be out for months. Um, Carlos, but... Carlos Keres is uh, trying to subtly undermine Real Madrid's 
progress on behalf of Manchester United fans everywhere by trying to call him up to Portugal to make sure he really can't run. <laughs> yeah, I think he is properly injured. Uh, not a, not a lot of chance of him playing in the playoffs next week. Um, but of, look, of course, United couldn't have lost him and it not have an effect. Um, I don't care how much people say that the goals are going to be spread around. Valencia's record of uh, what seven goals in two seasons or whatever it was. Yeah, sure, he'll do better this season because he's he's in a better side. Um, and Owen's record is, is one in two over a career if he plays. And he started just six games this season, so that tells you how often he's going to play. Um, that's if he stays fit. And, um, you know, uh, he's managing to do that at the moment. But uh, playing a few minutes here and there, he's not going to get a lot of goals. He'll make up for Carlos Tevez, no problem. The problem is the 25 other goals that United need from somewhere... Um, and in the biggest games, this is where it's going to have the biggest effect. Um, don't have that battering ram anymore, and I'm afraid we've seen that a little bit. Uh, United have failed to score against Liverpool, Burnley, and Chelsea. The three games they've lost away from home this season, um, and a third of the goals they've got already this season are in two games against uh, Manchester City and Wigan. In fact, if you add Tottenham into that. Um, there's more than a third of the goals in those three games alone. Uh, so we, we we do have a problem against the top sides, and I think this will probably play out over the season unless uh, Ferguson manages to spend. Now, the problem is that uh, as wonderful players that we do have um, in Berbatov and Rooney through the centre and other attacking players, there's perhaps just a slight shortage of goals in that side. Absolutely, and, and the shortage of goals um, comes from the difference between an incredibly talented and effective player and the player that you describe as the most destructive player you've ever seen. We do have a slight, we're suffering from a slight lack of destructive power, I think. Yeah, but Berbatov's not going to do that. Um, Rooney can be, but he scores in bursts. He scored a lot of goals at the beginning of the season and, and then not so many after that. So, we'll see. Uh, there's rumours of another bid for David Villa. I'd be really surprised that if they're prepared to spend you know, upwards of £40 million on a on a 27-year-old. Uh, I think the reality is we're, we're stuck with this for the season and we'll see what happens in the summer. Is David Villa even the type of player that we need? Because he scores a lot of goals, but is he the kind of... I don't know. There's there's a sense that, that I'm not sure that that's even... Our problem isn't a lack of talented forwards. Our lack is uh, our problem is a lack of cohesiveness, in a way. Performances this season have been incredibly inconsistent and incredibly patchy. And I'm not... I think it's, it's, it's emanating from the back, in a way. Um, but also there might be a problem with the amount of rotation of that midfield which has been effective in in the past certainly but do we maybe need a more settled midfield lineup because unquestionably we've looked much better with certain midfield combinations than others and then sometimes combinations that you think would work won't work because one of our older players has an off day i think you're right about the inconsistency um it's inconsistency in selection but also in performances from a number of the players and Anderson's not been too bad recently, but had a pretty shaky start to the season. That's the same can be said for Michael Carrick. Uh, yeah. Scholes has blown hot and cold. Uh, had a, a few great games at Tottenham away. Uh, got sent off, of course, but I thought he was brilliant um, yeah. for an hour. Uh, and then some rank, uh, rank bad games as well from Scholes, where he could barely string a pass together. Liverpool game. That's right. And Fletcher's... Uh, aside from being injured he, he's he been our outstanding central midfield player uh, easily 
Um, and you know, I, I think uh, the game against Chelsea at the weekend, and, and we'll come on to that. Um, but again, he was United's standout player, and he's just become so important to the team. Yeah, I mean, you, it looks to me like you've. If I was picking the United side, Patrice Evra, Van der Sar, Fletcher, Rooney, Berbatov, and then the rest of the team, I'm really not sure what I would do with it. You know, and I'm I'm not sure Ferguson has a full kind of overview of 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 how this this squad functions as a series of teams for certain occasions. Well, that's true. I mean, maybe he has um too much choice. Maybe there we have a, a great squad and not the not the best 1 to 11 that we've we've ever had. Um so I mean, you know, that's not to say it's a weak 1 to 11 by any means. No. But but there have been better. Um and you, and you're right and that shows uh, I think Ferguson's rotated for 90 plus games in a row now. Um, so that shows he's he's not settled on a one to eleven. You know, outside of all the demands of a sixty odd game season. Now, and I, I do think and uh, there's a there's an issue in central midfield as well. In in that almost always we play two deep lying midfielders. We don't have a a midfielder who gets ahead of the ball anymore. Um, someone in the mould of Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard. None of our players do that in, in central midfield. Um, so we are reliant, if there's going to be goals from midfield, it's either going to come from you know, a long shot or it has to come from the wings. And that's a bit of a problem too because Ryan Giggs hasn't got double figures in the season for more than a decade, I think. Mm. Valencia, as we've discussed already, doesn't score a lot of goals. Nani... You know, who knows what kind of game he's going to have from from game to game, and and Obertan is brand new and yeah, it's it's definitely an issue, isn't it? So this week I wanted to introduce one of our new writers here on Rant, uh, Brett Hells from the Gaffer's own country of Scotland. Uh, Brett, welcome to the show. Hey there, thanks. How are you doing? Good to have you on board. Um, uh, of course, Rant, uh, I've always wanted it to be a, a conduit for new writers and uh, the fans' voice and, and all of that. And uh, it's uh, great to have you writing for the site. I um, oh, a hope there'll be lots more to come. And uh, I know you've been reading uh, for a few years now. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I originally started reading back ninety, yeah, sorry, 2004 or something like that. Um, and I actually emailed, emailed you and asked if I could write a piece back then. Um, which he came back and said, yep, I think I was looking at doing a, a jock's eye view or something was the, the column that I'd got in mind. Um, but being lazy and easily distracted, I, um, I, I, I didn't do anything about it. So I'm glad that you're, you're back on the web and um, I've got the chance to do it just now. Well, there you go, and, and in multimedia too. Um, so a, a couple of interesting pieces you did for us recently. Uh, one, um, I'll do this in reverse chronological order, one one on Thomas Cusack uh, doing his best to get himself fired at United. Yeah, um, I'm not quite sure what he was trying to achieve from that. Um, obviously, he's, he's questioned whether or not Van der Sar likes him, whether or not he um, he's, he's going to help him and learn and give him advice. Um, there's been a lot, a lot bigger and better names than um, Thomas Cusack of fell foul the, the management at Old Trafford, Roy Keane, um, Beckham, Yap Stam, to name a few. Um, so quite what Cusack thinks he's going to achieve out of this, I, I don't know. Um, don't rate him personally as a as a goalkeeper. I think he's too accident prone when he comes on giving away a penalty or um, soft goals when he does play. So 
uh, if he leaves, it's it's not going to be any great loss, I don't think. No, I, I'm I'm sure there won't be any tears shed. Uh, I don't suppose any United fans really um really care much for Thomas Cusack. Uh, he's been at the club for uh, three years now, something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he hasn't made it by now. He's he's never going to make it. And uh, famously, of course, um, uh, an MUTV interview, which is what Cusack did, uh, ended Roy Keane's career at United. I guess Ferguson hasn't booted him out yet, but uh, it wasn't a very subtle interview, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no, no. But interestingly enough as well, one thing I, I remembered about um, uh, Cusack was when he first signed YouTube and him just to see some of his videos and I remember he was um, I think he was lobbed in a game for an international match for Poland when he first um, when he first signed so that's something he's got in common with Ben Foster who if you remember was lobbed by Paul Robinson as well so um, I definitely think they need to look at a, a, a new goalkeeper um, to replace certainly Van der Sar when he finally hangs up the gloves that's right, and and um, it could be this summer that Van der Zaar, um finishes. He hasn't signed a new contract yet. I, I know they signed a new contract about this time last season for another year. Even so, he'll be 40, not long away now, and um, I'd think that Ferguson would want to plan for the future one way or another. Yeah, I, th- I think Van der Sar, you know, he's been a great servant and he's he's finally laid to, go- laid to rest the ghost of Peter Schmeichel, if you like. Um but there are games where he does. He's maybe a little bit slow in, in getting down, or you know, you do think that a, a younger, more agile goalkeeper may have may have made some of the some of the saves that he, that he might miss. Um, I think the replacements there and Akinfeef, um very impressed with him in the two matches against CSK Moscow. And there's obviously a lot of paper talk, so hopefully, hopefully the the management will make a move to sign him. Yeah, I I hadn't seen loads of him before. I'd, I'd seen a couple of international matches, and obviously an avid watcher of the Champions League and and all of that. And he's um, he's been around in the the CSKA side for something like six years now. He's only twenty three, so he's a keeper with a ton of experience. Who's still young enough to to be at United for for many years to come. Yeah, he, he looked like he'd be a good buy, but I'm sure the scouts have been out there watching every possible option. Uh, no one wants the situation. Uh, that happened after Schmeichel retired and we went through something like 15 goalkeepers yeah. before before finding Hope, someone who's decent. Hopefully they've got some new scouts then because there was definitely some someone irresponsible to try to sign um, Massimo Taibi, if you remember that one. I, I, I certainly do, yeah. Through the legs, Matt Letizia, yeah. One of the most ignominious signings uh, that United has ever made. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so uh, another piece that you did uh, did for Rant recently, and uh, this was hilarious, uh, Rooney's 12 men comment after the Chelsea defeat on Sunday where he turned to the Sky cameras and, and uh, suggested that Martin, Martin Atkinson, the, the referee, wasn't exactly impartial. Well, there was two things that, on that. The first one um, was the comparisons to Drogba's outburst after the, the Champions League match against Barcelona. Um, I don't think it was it was anything like that. I think that was just the the, the ABUs having a having a go um, just for the sake of it. Um, I think Drogba certainly turned air blue when when he had his little rant. Rooney's was more just a a, a sly little dig, I think, um, or an intelligent piece of marketing. If you if you um, know that Wayne Rooney's the face of the EA Sports games, the the FIFA series. So um, their slogan a couple of seasons ago was "Be the 12th. So I wonder if he was just doing a, a little extra hundred thousand in the back pocket from EA for for that comment as well. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, of course, uh, twelve men was about the uh, record attendance at Stamford Bridge before Roman Abramovich turned up. So maybe he was talking about that too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> 
Um, well, uh, Brett, it's great to have you on board on the, the website. Um, I believe you'll be joining us for the podcast for future editions. So um, always uh, always good to have a few views. Um, so um, uh, it'd be great to hear you after the international break, I think, our, our next podcast. Um, will be unless there's a, a massive call for uh, analysis of uh, the World Cup playoffs. So readers, let us know. Um, so uh, on that note, Brett, um, thank you very much and uh, look forward to seeing your next piece. That's great. Thanks so much. We did look pretty good against Chelsea. I thought we were excellent. I, I really couldn't criticise the team. They put in a superhuman effort. Um, yes, they went with one up front, and uh, of course I've been critical of that in the past, but for the occasion, it was probably the right selection. At least they didn't push Rooney out to the left wing. They just put in an all-action performance. They kept the ball really well. Fletcher was destructive in midfield. Uh, the two central defenders, supposedly our second choice, looked like the first choice, didn't they? Uh, Brown and, and Evans were outstanding against uh, arguably the, the top forward pairing in the league of Drogba and, and Elka. Uh, I thought we were really good and very, very unlucky. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have to say, I thought, I mean... It's easy to be knee-jerk about this thing, these sorts of things, but if I was running a side, keep Evans and Brown there, and Ferdinand and Vidic would have to prove to me that they re-earned their place in the team because they were fantastic, as you say, against two of the finest, you know, one of the best strike pairings going anywhere in, in the world, you know. Um, and, yeah, it was, a, it was a terrific performance. And in terms of the formation, you have to say it would have been fairly suicidal to go up against Ancelotti's diamonds with anything else other than the kind of more packed midfield which was incredibly effective and we were we were just we were just unlucky and and you know in a way it was reassuring because if we play like that every week and Chelsea play like that every week we'll win the league but the thing is we're not going to play like that every week and Chelsea equally are not going to play like that every week you know the, the, it's kind of regardless of the performance and the result I did come away from that thinking uh, I think much I hate to say it, I, th- I think Ed's right, we're going to end up finishing this season. I hate to say that you're right. I hate to say we're going to end up not winning the league this season. Yeah, well, we'll see. I hope I'm wrong on that one. This is, of course, uh, my prediction that United would come second. Uh, hey, you know, long way to go, isn't there? Um, there is. I, I just think there's probably one too many deficiencies um, for us to win this season, but we'll see. Um, you know. uh, maybe uh, next week on Rankcast we'll have a bit of a chat about the January transfer window and whether there's anything that you'd like to see happen in that transfer window uh, let's do that and it's, it's coming up really fast of course in about six weeks to go and the papers will be full of uh, silly season gossip very shortly if they're, they're not already apparently Sergio Aguero's got a 15 million pound release clause but that seems ridiculous to me that surely can't somebody would have bought him by now because Atletico Madrid are rubbish and Sergio Aguero is brilliant yeah I, I, I don't believe that's true either um, I mean, of course, all Spanish footballers have a release clause. It's one of those um, quirks of Spanish football association rules. Uh, every player does, but most of the time, uh, the, the clubs, especially when they have a good player, put in a ridiculously high release clause to to put off potential suitors. Yeah, uh, which we we spend when we play football manager, and it's like, oh, fantastic! I've got enough money to buy this ridiculously overpriced Spanish superstar. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, uh, FM fans out there, go and try and buy Sergio Aguero for 15 million. I, I don't believe it for a second. Um, so uh, I, I guess um, uh, we talked about um, the game's uh, just gone, um, uh, a little bit about uh, United's goal-scoring problem, but that's no, here and now. Um, one other thing we wanted to touch on this week, uh, Alex Ferguson, uh, 23 years at Manchester United, an incredible achievement. Um, put up uh, a few photos. I, I figured enough had been said about Ferguson over the years, didn't really need to repeat it all, but uh, a few little memories of uh, his time uh, on, on the website there. Um, what are your thoughts on his 23 years, Paul? Well, I absolutely love the way you covered it. The, fo- the photos really did tell a fantastic story, and it's it's really interesting to see him turning into an old man because, I don't know, in when he was appointed, I was uh, nine years old or something, some something like what year? Yeah, 1986. I was nine, um, and I remember thinking of Alex Ferguson being this kind of older man, but he looks so incredibly young in those early photos, doesn't he? He's, even when the photo of him signing Cantona, you know, he just it, compared to now, he's got this kind of slightly avuncular granddad type appearance. Yeah, he, he's aged for, for sure. Um, he really has, and of course, he's nearly seventy, so he's supposed to look old. And I, I guess the uh, the old drama to whiskey uh, doesn't, you know, have the best effect on the skin, does it? Uh, along with the stress of being a football manager. So, but yeah. just the list of his achievements. I mean, you know, he's he's the best ever, right? There's there, there can't be too much there can't be too much debate about who the most successful club manager ever is. He's taken a team that was really on its uppers a club that was on its uppers and struggling with attendance and all that kind of stuff and turned them into, you know, year after year the most profitable team in the world and the most successful team in the Premiership era by a ridiculous country mile. And, you know, despite his kind of questionable personal tendencies and his habit of getting into kind of vendettas and his sometimes embarrassing... (laughs) kind of excuse making after matches he's obviously doing that for a reason you know he's obviously doing that to breed the spirit and build the build the team yeah uh, I, I agree I think everything that Ferguson does is calculated uh, he knows what he's doing in every media interview with every team selection with every purchase he always has a plan for it it doesn't always work out of course but the bigger picture says um, that after 23 years, he's the most successful manager United have ever had. In the year's time, he'll be the longest-serving manager United has ever had. Uh, in terms of total trophies, he's more successful than anyone alive. Um, I, I guess uh, the the only thing that Ferguson would like is another European Cup. Yeah, but people have been saying for a long time that the only thing he would like is a Euro- another European Cup, and he got one and then got back to the final the following year. It's, you know... At a time when that that competition so incredibly competitive. Oh yeah, far more than it used to be. Um, it, it just is because of the the way it's structured. Um, you know, dominated by teams from the big league. So yes, I, I think that's why we've seen in the the Champions League era, no one's defended the trophy. Um, it's because there's a much bigger pool of of talented clubs that could potentially win. Um, and interesting thing you touched on there um, when he took over at United because I think perhaps some of the younger listeners might only think of United as this massive global club with you know hundreds of millions in revenue and Ferguson spending £30 million on a player here and there and they might come to the conclusion that 
Ferguson bought success, but really it's the other way around. United was was almost bankrupt. He was forced to sell Mark Hughes to um, Barcelona in the mid eighties, uh, just to ease the cash flow problem. Uh, the, the club hadn't won a Premier League or Football League Division One as it was a title for 26 years. Tendencies were always great, but uh, the club wasn't commercialised, so revenue wasn't as high as some other clubs. Um, and, uh, you know, there were a few larger purchases in the early years, but in truth, he, he built that club from the ground up. He put in a, a youth policy that didn't exist before. Um, he uh, put faith in those younger players. He bought the right players and and uh, he was given time that's crucial of course um and uh you know he he helped create this global brand that united is now but without success the money wouldn't have been there so we can blame him for the glazers coming in and taking over <laughs> it's an interesting thing that that in the study of international politics there are probably a few years out of date academically but they're for a long time there were two competing views of history the systems view of history and the statesman view of history which argues that it's not systems that matter it's the individuals that matter and if you look at football significant individuals with huge control over clubs and the direction of clubs managers make such an enormous difference and i still think that's the case now i still think that even given the multinational complexity of football in the modern age a uh, Brian Clough figure, a uh, Sir Alex Ferguson figure, a uh, Bill Shankly figure, they will make all the difference because just single visions make so much difference. For sure, yeah, it's, st- it's still true. Even in this era, era of directors of football and boards interfering with uh, player purchases and even team selections at some clubs, uh, the strong personalities and the strong management figures and consistency uh, with those people matters. Focusing is the epitome of that. Um, I think it'd be a huge loss when he goes. Huge loss to United and the, the board. Uh, and it's almost inevitable within the next two seasons, isn't it? The board are going to have to make a very, very strong decision. And then when it doesn't go right, as surely there will be a time when there's a blip, and who knows what reaction there'll be from the players and what the money situation will be like at the time. When it doesn't go right, the board are going to have to decide: are they sticking with this man and giving him the time that Ferguson had, or are they going down the modern route and? Uh, well, they fire him after 15 games if it's not successful. You see, it's fascinating because you you wonder, it's a combination of the time and the man. If you give the time, the situation will only get worse. But if you give the right man time, you'll build one of the greatest teams there's ever been. kind of wanted to touch on this as well because, um, and it is relevant, um, uh, Darren Ferguson was fired today from his uh, post at, at um, Peterborough. And I didn't even know that he's been. I, last I heard anything about that, he was doing fantastically. Right there, so he's been dismissed today. Um, uh, Alex Ferguson's son, of course, um, and uh, he, he's the man in charge of Peterborough's uh, two promotions in two seasons. So he's taken them up to the championship from uh, League Two. Um, Reading wanted him this summer, and um, we don't know whether he would have considered it or not because Peterborough said absolutely no chance. They even had him sign a new four-year contract and uh, a third of the way into the season they fired him because their results disappointed they've had two wins all season. Here's a, a classic example of not looking at the long term. So yeah. just a few months ago this man was irre- irreplaceable, one of the best young managers out there, uh, 15 games into the season and uh, he's not good enough to do the job after taking them up uh, twice. 
Um, now, Peterborough will pay for that for sure. Uh, but, but there you go. That's short-termism for you. It is, and but it does leave him free to come and be his dad's assistant manager and then take over the job starting a family business which will last for three generations <laughs> maybe uh, no one no one without the surname ferguson or shulshire is ever allowed to manage oh uh, talking of ollie of course uh rumors that he might might leave um the uh swedish manager's position has been taken up um by um uh, hammeren who's the manager of rosenborg at the moment and there was some speculation that uh, rosenborg might like to offer solskjaer the uh, manager's job there and nothing seems to have come of it at the moment but especially it's the off season isn't it in Norway so uh, we might see in a few months time that Oli leaves his post as a reserve team manager I'm surely he's um, ambitious uh, and is looking for his first proper move into management Rosenberg would be a brilliant club to go to as well wouldn't it potentially I, I really am very grateful Ed that you said um that it's the off season, isn't it, in Norway? Assuming that I would know that it was the off season in Norway, which I must confess was I did not know. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> so um, I spend, I spend le- less less time reading obscure uh, footballing websites than you. Ladies and gentlemen, next week on Rant, we'll be uh, looking in depth at Afghanistani football. <laughs> it's the new hotness. <laughs> so, um, talking of obscure football websites, um, United Rant uk, which is of course not one um, there was a piece by a writer named Ingar on Team Spirit and lack thereof um, against uh, CSK in Moscow it, it was a sort of piece basically saying that we were lacking a bit of the bite and verve we used to have uh, what, what do you make of that? Um, uh, hey look, he, uh, he's he got a point hasn't he? I, I, if you think back to the, say the 1994 side, and, and I know this is a cliche in United terms because everyone uh, points this out, but you had Bruce Ince, Keane, Robson uh, you know, four of the hardest men you'll ever find on a football pitch Yeah, I was um, just going to say, when, when you said think back to the 1994 side, I said I was thinking to myself, I'm not actually sure I want to I'm a little bit scared <laughs> That's right, they were, they were proper hard guys um, who, who wouldn't take any crap off anybody um, and you know, all of United sides have had that in one way or another and, and at the moment, there isn't really uh, of course um, Darren Fletcher's are kind of enforcer in midfield but you wouldn't say he was a, a nasty guy I know Arsene Wenger's tried to paint him that way but this is a very mild mannered guy who puts himself about a little bit there really aren't the, the strength of characters in the United side anymore Who who's going to start a fight in an empty room in the United team no one no and that's not necessarily a bad thing and in fact Ingar did single out um, Rooney and, and Fletcher as, as perhaps being the exceptions to the rule, because Rooney could start a fine and empty room. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, look, there there is something to that. Uh, yeah, well, you yeah. you described it as a lack of leadership, and I think that's actually slightly more accurate than a, a lack of fight. There are, and the type of leadership we have got, Ryan Giggs, and you know, is a slightly and Edwin Vandersize a slightly more measured leadership. Yeah, and some, uh, sometimes you need to be a little more hysterical. Actually, um, I, I did want to touch on something about the uh, the, the uh, Chelsea game as well. Um, because after United went down and the whole circumstances surrounding it, it was you know, unfair to have been given the free kick. All the United players could see that Wes Brown had been dragged down and then Didier Drogba standing in front of the keeper. Um, so I think they were focused on the injustice of it. But I thought the the response, there almost wasn't one. I, I didn't see the 
desperation in United's play to to get the equaliser, and this is something that's kind of surprising. I mean, given given what they achieved against CSKA just a few days days earlier, and, and the history of United scoring late goals and the never say die spirit didn't quite happen against Chelsea. And I I wonder whether they just thought actually we've probably been beaten here. Chelsea hardly ever concede goals, and that that was a little bit of a shame to see. I wonder if it was um, to get a bit armchair psychologist about it I suspect it might have had something to do with shock because they were so in control of that match and they you know almost the kind of keep on doing what you're doing because it's been working so the having waiting 10 minutes to do anything about it was to see if the system that had been working and the players that had been performing could work a goal scoring opportunity Um. I have to say playing against Chelsea it's you know normally when we play other teams with the exception of maybe Fernando Torres there's no one oh, I wish he... but that Chelsea side has got a good few players in it that you just think God, I wish you were wearing red instead Michael Essien I mean the the guy is just I don't know I, I, I suspect and and please forgive me for this blasphemy Michael Essien would be the first name on my international 11 team sheet he's a top top quality player isn't he uh, yeah. it's a real shame United didn't buy him but that was uh, one of the Abramovich era's overspending he was um, basically a, a, an unknown at Lyon a good player but to spend £24 million pounds, uh, on somebody of um, the the quality of SEN then seemed like a lot of money right now be a bargain because yeah. he he's uh, just one of the top midfield players in the world um, yes, he would, he would get into the United side for sure, uh, as good as Fletcher has been. Oh yeah, the two of them together—that'd be that'd be a sight to see. There you go. Sadly, uh, that will not happen. Um, but I'm sure United uh, will be able to recover from that defeat. Everton um, in a couple of weeks' time after the international break uh, at home at Old Trafford. One of the games you'd think United would win. Uh, Everton have uh, been there or thereabouts uh, in the top sort six or seven over the last few years but not had a great start to the season this time round. they've had a pretty dreadful start to the season this time round. but they've had a you know people keep saying oh this is really un-Everton like they've been really consistent over recent seasons but I'm like I think people are forgetting their history There's, David Moyes a brilliant season then a dreadful season then a brilliant season then a dreadful season and then a few good seasons in a row but he, he there was a pattern of that at Everton which has got to do with you know I mean they're doing he's done it He's another brilliant kind of example of the statesman view of footballing history because he's been able to build something pretty impressive given the limited resources of that club and those people that might be in that list of people that could succeed Sir Alex. Uh, He'd definitely be on the short list, yeah, whether he's the best candidate. um, Who knows? We'll find out in a couple of years' time, I guess. But yeah, we'll we'll beat Everton because they're slightly rubbish. You know, if there's one thing we need at the moment, it's to play teams that are slightly rubbish and remind ourselves of how to score goals. Yep, uh, on, uh, on, on which point we, we could really do we play Manchester City every week because they are pretty rubbish. Um, and uh, <laughs> Or Liverpool, although they beat us, but apart from when they beat us, they're absolutely rubbish. They were pretty rubbish when they beat us. And, and uh, okay, good, good, good note to end on. Uh, I, I thought uh, there was some uh, pretty shocking diving around this season until I saw David Ungo uh, against Birmingham. Now, that was, that was as good a a good a Greg Luganis impression as Johnny Evans's Bruce Lee was on Sunday. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> karate kicking Didier Drogba. Then again, if you breathe on uh, Drogba, he falls down in the heat. Oh, so I, I, yeah, I don't believe the don't <laughs> I don't blame the referee for that one. But David Ngo or Ngog or however you're 
was supposed to pronounce it. Uh, absolutely shocking dive. Just, I'd have been embarrassed. Yeah, the Blues were robbed. They certainly were. Um, on which note, um, I guess that's uh, it for this evening, readers. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks, and uh, we will see you after the international break.